welcome to K2. I hope you're as excited as I am. This is Thanksgiving weekend, our week coming up here, and uh, that means Lions football on Thursday, accompanied by turkey and then naps. The perfect day, right? And then maybe lay off a little for the rest of the weekend. But uh, my name is Mike Rodgers. I'm the director of arts, and I'm really looking forward to this time we have together this morning. We're starting a new uh, series today and the following two weeks where we're going to be examining, as the band just talked about, where faith and fear intersect. How do we deal with that? So Eric shared, you know, don't be afraid, be afraid. And I want to look at that. It was, I love that opening song because it's very clever. And, you know, I'm afraid of uh, growing old or staying young and running out of fun. I'm afraid of photographs of mom and dad when they were young. And you went and look at your parents, <laughs> pictures of your parents, and you're like, holy crow, what was going on there, right? Uh, and then you, because you get a glimpse of yourself in the future, don't you? Uh, and, and, and uh, the, the, but they go on, I'm afraid of jealousy, cupidity, and all words and any, and then this line is amazing, I'm afraid of men with bombs that think they're God. Really, isn't that what Hillary was saying about Donald Trump, right? Get him away from the button, right? So this isn't a new thing, and the reality is that when you look at your lives, if we're honest with ourselves, we would all say probably, we have fears in our life. I, I got to tell you, you know, and they can be all kinds. My wife, I will tell you, Susie, uh, is, is uh, terrified of horror movies. She hates them. Like, and if you're not from Utah, you don't, you don't know this, but like Utah has a freakishly crazy obsession with horror houses and all that kind of stuff. It's crazy here. But Susie is particularly terrified by uh, uh, scary movies. And when we were just married, it was in our first year, we had these friends, Craig and Lisa, and we decided to go do a movie one night with them, you know, double date, fun time. And this is before you just went online and pick your seats and do, done. You actually had to go and plan it all out and get there in the right time and pull out these green pieces of paper to give them. And, they, you know, you'd wait in a line and they'd give you a ticket. And so we didn't time it well. And when we arrived, that movie was sold out. So, well, I don't know. I mean, we're, we already got the date. So let's just, what else is showing? So the only other movie that was showing at that time was this movie called Copycat. So I don't know if you know about this movie. It's not a new movie, but here's, here's, the, here's the 411 on this movie. This woman, Sigourney Weaver, is an agoraphobic, which means she's afraid of leaving her house. She's terrified of leaving her house. Well, the problem, what happens is, the problem is this crazy, maniacal killer played by Harry Connick breaks into her house to try and kill her. Now she's forced to face the fear of either the maniacal killer or leaving her house. And that's 20 years old, so I could spoil the movie for you, but I'm sure you can figure out the ending anyways. But all that to say, so this, we're in the middle of this movie, and all the, just, this is Susie's head buried in my chest, going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is terrible, I hate this. And I'm like, well, we could leave. And she's like, no, we can't leave. I have to know how it finishes, or else I'll be upset all night. <laughs> and she still was. She woke up in the middle of the night. She's like, will you pray for me? I'm freaking out here. Me, on the other hand, I'll tell you this, uh, I, I, the thing that I feared growing up was my mom. But specifically, <laughs> I mean, there were moments with Hot Wheels tracks and some things like that, but specifically, what I really feared, I have two older brothers and, the, and a younger sister, and, and the three of us would occasionally cross appropriate behavioral boundaries in my mom's mind. And you would see it, and steam is out of her ear. And then she would say this. Do you want your head in your hands and your ears to play with? 
okay, this is what's scary. I don't know the answer. Because I have no idea what that means. So if I say yes and the answer is supposed to be no, worse, if I say no and it's supposed to be yes, I'm in like a world of hurt. So we would shoot, you want your hand in your hands, ears play with? And we would go, sorry. Like, <laughs> there's no good answer. Anyway, otherwise my mom was great. But that moment when she would say that thing, we were just stumped. And usually we came back across the boundary line into some reasonable behaviors. The reality is, again, like if we're all honest, we'd admit we have fears. It's, I saw this Washington Post uh, published an article citing this Chapman University study where they wanted to see the, mo the greatest fears of America in 2016. And they found some pretty, pretty interesting things. The first thing they found, they discovered that there were 11 domains in which fear, now this is really small, so it's going to be hard to read some of the small print here, but 11 different main domains that things could fall under and almost 100 different universal shared uh, categories that people said, I'm either afraid or very afraid of. And in those domains, crime, obviously, personal fears such as like, you know, agoraphobia, spiders, clowns, things like that. Immigration, one of the, one of the things they found that people were afraid that America was not going to be predominantly white. <laughs> that was a fear for people. Uh, the environment, global warming we've heard about. Uh, relationships, you, you can figure that out on your own. Technology. Uh, natural disasters, earthquakes, all, hurricanes, all that kind of stuff. Illness and death, economic stuff, man-made disaster like, you know, terrorism, biowarfare, those kinds of things. And then corruption of the government. Right. Like, that's not a pertinent information right now. But then what was really interesting, I mean, like, these are like some top-level top research. They found something that was so enlightening. They found this statistic, that the Democrats are more fearful than Republicans. And look at this hard-hitting stuff that they're afraid of. Bugs, snakes, blood, needles, claustrophobia, strangers, clowns, and ghosts. And I'm thinking, thank God we finally have a Republican president can battle the key issues of America without fear. Like, really, who's got time for that research? And then the top 10 fears were pretty interesting, and you probably could figure them out. The number one, government corruption. 60% of the people said they were afraid of government corruption, terrorist attacks, uh, you know, loved ones being sick, affordable health care, all of the things you would identify, right? So we love slogans in our life, right? And, and you see these statistics, and we love like a slogan like, you know, fear is not an option, right? Or you have nothing to fear but fear itself. I, I don't know what that means exactly, but it sounds so cool and so manly, right? Oh, by the way, 25% of you, again, this section over here, are afraid to publicly speak, so that makes me braver than that whole section, which is, which is helping me right now. But um, uh, just... Kind of went off here, so I lost my train of thought. But, um, 
oh, so we love slogans. Uh, but, but I think what's interesting, you know, there's a company called No Fear that makes these No Fear shirts. And I think what we like about this is that it, it, it's sort of, it's a charming thought to think, I'm going to live with no fear. I'm more brave than everything. But I think in truth, what it actually exemplifies is a reality that we do live with fear. We all have fears and we want to live outside of them controlling our life, right? Let me ask you this question. Just take a second. You've seen the lists in the study. What do you, who would be honest enough to say, yes, I have fear in my life. There's a, I mean in a specific way. Something you're going like, no, I have a fear. I'm afraid that this could happen or this is happening. Right, almost all of us. And I don't know, maybe it's a, you're afraid of ghosts or spiders, mice, clowns, the new president, <laughs> relationship falling apart. Maybe you don't, you're worried about your finances. But here's something that's very interesting. You know what did not appear? in the list, and I would venture a guess, was not something that you identified as your fear. Fear of the Lord. Didn't appear anywhere. And this concept happens, this, this verse is, is presented multiple times throughout Scripture. Take a look at this. Proverbs 9.10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it's saying, if, if you, you can't even start, the beginning of wisdom, you can't even start to get wise until you fear the Lord. Yet none of us really identified that. I'm just going to be honest, that wasn't on top of my list either. Proverbs 1.7, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge now. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's saying, hey, if you're not afraid of the Lord... You're a fool. Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom again. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. And in this one, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And the one who rests, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. See, in fear, what is fear? Well, fear is just an emotion, right? It's like love, hate, anger, happiness. It's an emotion. It's a physical emotion. It's, it's, a, it's a negative emotion that's based on the idea that someone or something is dangerous or going to harm me or is a threat to me, right? My I, have a, I have a reaction inside, right? And what's really interesting is that when you think about fear, human fear leads to bad stuff. I fear bad things happening to me. And in the end, if, if this bad thing happens, if, if this fear becomes a reality, something bad's going to happen. What's different about fear of the Lord that we see is that actually fearing him, as we're instructed to do, leads to good things. What kind of good things? Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and ultimately Life, But we spend the majority of our time obsessing over these fears. Maybe I'm never going to get married. Maybe I'm going to get divorced. Maybe I don't have enough money. We focus on these things rather than focusing on understanding what it means to fear the Lord. And I want to look at this. I have three things I want to share with you that I think are really important because I believe that the reason so many of us are living lives that aren't the lives we desired or thought should or would or could be is because we're not fearing the right things. 
and we're making fear-based decisions on the wrong things. So I want to share with you three things that I, want, I think are essential to understanding the fear of the Lord. And the first is this, that the fear of the Lord is more than simple respect and or reverence. I've heard Francis Chan speak on this, and I've heard uh, many people actually will say when they talk about fear, they'll say, you know, um, well, fear, uh, fear is like a respect and a reverence, right? Right? And when I look, when I look at the, the Hebrew for that word, it's yira, and what it, it does, it does have the essence of, of respect and reverence in it, but it also, it's not a complete uh, definition. It actually goes beyond that to say, no, it's being terrified and afraid. And I go, wait, so I'm supposed to be terrified of God somehow. And I think that part of the problem for us in understanding what it means to fear God is that we're so enamored in a good way. We're so overwhelmed in a good way by the grace and the love of God that the idea of being afraid of him is hard to palate. I mean, we, we, we love the good things about God. We love that he wants to forgive us. We love that stuff. But be afraid of him? And so we don't think in those terms. And I think that it's important for us to understand when the Bible says we should fear the Lord, it's speaking very non-figuratively and quite literally. We should be afraid of God. Now, I, the reason I believe that is because when I look at the examples of God coming into relationship or having an encounter with humanity, it's nothing but sheer terror. Look at this. We'll start with looking at the Israelites and the, the, the nations. Now, if you remember, Israel was in captivity to Egypt, and then God sent the plagues, which was, I'm guessing, a, quite an episode to experience. <laughs> you see the power of a pretty amazing God doing amazing things. The Israelites are released, but there's sin, and so they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And as they're getting close to taking the promised land, the land of Canaan, Jericho is this one city, but in order, before they take Jericho, they've got to cross the Jordan River. Now, you remember... Moses put his staff out over the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted and they walked across and the Egyptians followed him and bam, done, right? Well, a lesser known one happens not long after that. They come up to the Jordan River and they have to cross the river at high tide and they walk across, the, the Jordan River separates. And look what happens here as a result of God doing this amazing thing. Joshua 4 says, For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had crossed over. He did this so that all nations of the earth might know the power of the Lord and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. When the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with respect and reverence. No, with fear. I don't know if you've been in that situation where you've been so scared you can't move. Right, you know, it's middle of the night, little seven-year-old boy, I got to get up and go to the bathroom, but the monster under the bed is going to get me, so I lay there like this all night, right? <laughs> 
This is exact, there's a term, this, uh, this uh, German theologian, his name is Rudolf Otto in the early 1900s, he coined a phrase, it's called mysterium tremendum. And what it means, mysterium is a reference to the holy otherness of God, the complete difference in who he is and who we are that produces the tremendum, which is bone-chilling shaking. <laughs> as a result of understanding how different God is than we are. And what's really interesting, you see this with the kings. They were paralyzed with fear because they heard not what Israel had done, but what the God of Israel had done. They weren't afraid of Israel. They were afraid of Israel's God. That's a huge difference. You want to know why? Because here's, what the, here's the deal. He separated the sea. He parted the Red Sea. He parted the, how do you, how do you, what, what's the battle plan against that? Uh, he's going to part the sea, guys. I think what we should do is get our hoses. And uh, when he parts it, let's spray it back in so they can't get across, all right? I mean, what, what do you do? See, he's totally other. He's not confined by human constraints of battle plans. He can do whatever. And he's coming against us right now. And I'm paralyzed because I don't know how to defend myself against that. See, that's not just respect. Then you have Isaiah chapter 6. It says, in the, year of, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then look what happens after he sees the God of heaven. He, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So when he says I'm ruined, <laughs> he's, he's not like, ah, oh, man, that's a tough day. No, he ruined, the, the Hebrew word dama actually means I cease to exist, I'm destroyed, I'm gonna perish, I'm silenced, I'm cut off, I'm a dead man walking. He sees the glory of who God is and he sees the glory of who he's not and he's like, I'm done for. I'm done. Because that's what I'm supposed to be aspiring to and I'm nowhere close. And that's terrifying. Just absolutely terrifying. Even Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10. He says this, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Here's what he's saying. At the end of the day, at the end of your life, man can do all kinds of terrible things to you that can bring fear to your heart, that can drive decisions you make and lead you into living a lifestyle based on what you're afraid of a man doing. But let me be clear. At the end of the day, if those are the motivations you follow, you will not only lose your life in this earth, but you will lose your soul in eternity. So you better be more afraid of me than what man can do to you. And I'm afraid of mice. <laughs> but here's what's great news. And he it's so, so crazy. Every time an angel of the Lord or the Lord would appear to humans, the first reaction of humanity was, ah, I'm terrified. I'm like this. Whoa, I'm ruined. All, every time. Every time. Right? It's just always, oh, terror. And then the next thing, fear not. I have good news for you. You know, I think that the reason we fear God is because he's so, no, I don't think, I know that the reason we fear God is because he's so different than us. 
You know, in humanity, we fear other people because their skin color is different. They speak another language. They worship a different religion. And we can't even reconcile this. We have hate crimes and we have racism and we have all this terrible stuff because people aren't like us. We don't understand it. Now you take God, multiply that by a gajillion. It's not even in human realms and we try and make sense of that. And when we encounter that God, it's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. But the good news is this. That the fear of the Lord is the necessary companion to grace. See, he is holy. He's perfect. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. He's everywhere at once. He's a creator of everything. He's completely sinless in nature and character. And I believe at the core of the problem when we encounter this God who's so other than us, he exposes our insecurities. And our insecurity is really simple. It's really, really simple. Three-letter word called sin. That's what makes us different than God. And it's as though we look into this mirror and we see the reflection of ourself and then we see the reflection of who God is and we're like, whoa, wait, this is bad. And we start to feel embarrassed and insecure about who we are. And his grace came at a great price and he offers his grace freely over and over and over again when we sin. His grace will continue and continue but we're forced with a couple choices. And the choices are, one option is that what a lot of us like to do is we like to just push God out of the picture and look at the mirror by ourselves. I look good now. There's no God to compare it to. I am the God. I look good. But you can't continue to do that. It's kind of like this. You know when you're little kids and you play peekaboo with the little, really tiny little kids? And they go like this? Because if they cover their eyes, you can't see them, right? Well, that's kind of what we do. If I just don't look at God, then he can't see how terrible I am. Oh, good. <laughs> what you do is you don't expose your own goodness. You don't expose your own foolishness. Because God is all-powerful. He, he knows. We're fooling ourselves. We try and push him out of the picture. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to aspire to that. I don't want to try and live that way. I want to live my own way. And Romans addresses this. In chapter 6, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live any, in it any longer? What he's saying is, once you receive God's grace, not in order to receive God's grace, but once you have received God's grace, your natural response to that should be to fear him to the point where I'm going to make decisions based on knowing that his grace cost him so much. I'm not going to continue to sin and spit on the grace that God has given me. We have this saying in our house, you're not sorry if you keep doing the same thing. Don't tell me you're sorry. That's what Susie says to me a lot. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we say this to our kids. Don't say you're sorry if you have no intention of changing your behavior. That's why the fear of the Lord and His grace are companions. Because when you realize that His grace has touched your life, your natural response is to say, and I need to live differently as a result of gratefulness to it. But what happens in the family is so often with the kids is, they'll say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What they're actually sorry about is they got busted, right? 
I'm sorry I got caught. And as soon as you turn away, I'm going to do it again, but I'm sorry I got caught. And that's funny because it's the kids, but guess what? That's how I live. God can't see me. <laughs> see, he's a holy God, and so that sin separates us, and that's a problem. But here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 7. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, death. I'm sorry, God, I'm going to repent and change the way I'm doing it. That leads to life. And that comes when you fear God. The third thing is this. First, fear of the Lord is more than a simple, uh, more than simple respect or reverence. Second, fear of the Lord is a necessary companion grace. And the third is that the fear of the Lord gives you your identity. Fear of anything else steals your identity. Daniel chapter 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. All right, let me give you a quick history lesson here, okay? So Israel, because of their unwillingness to live under God's uh, ordinances and commands and sin and stuff like that, they separated. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel and the southern kingdom went by Judah. And, okay, so separation happens. Next thing that happens, Israel, the northern kingdom, still refuses to follow God. So God allows Assyria to move in in 722 B.C. and conquer them and take them captive. All right, 722 B.C. Well, the southern kingdom, Judah, doesn't pick up the cliff notes and see what happens. So in 586, Babylon, or current-day Iraq, moves in and conquers them. Because God allows that to happen as a result of their disobedience and unwillingness to follow him. A lack of a fear of the Lord. All right? And Nebuchadnezzar is the king, this raging megalomaniac who needs the whole world to worship him. And when this happens, you know these, you've probably heard about these four guys, but three guys for sure. Ever heard of these guys? Rack, Shack, and Benny? Right, you, you VeggieTales people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three Israelite guys who are forced into becoming servants to King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel as well, because they're some of Israel's finest. And they identify them, they put them in. And let me just t let me let me just share with you what happens in this process of trying to steal the, their godly identity and replace it with a false identity through fear of the wrong things. The first thing that happens is. Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar tries to re-educate and reculture them. That's the very first thing. You see this uh, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Ashpenaz, the chief of the court of officials, was to teach them language and literature of the Babylonians. So what happens is these guys, they get stuffed with all the key, great, studly Israelite leaders who are now forced to be servants to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the first thing they do, they send them to the best Babylonian universities to learn Babylonian culture, learn Babylonian literature, Babylonian language, and strip them of the, what, what their original identity was. Step one. Step two, they give them a new diet. Now, just know this. This wasn't the rice and beans diet. This wasn't the cabbage soup diet. This was like the bomb diet. The choice cuts from the king's table and the wine from his thing. They're like, hey, we want you to do this. We're going we're to feed you well. But understand this. They said no to that. And the reason they said no is because they're like, no, I'm not going to eat this meat 
that you've sacrificed to these idols. That's not my God. And so they stick to their vegetarian diet to stay true to their God. But the third thing they do after the education, the culture, and the diet, the next thing they do is they try and give them new names. Look at this. It says, among those who were chosen from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now what you need to understand, Daniel meant God is my judge. Hananiah meant God has been gracious. Mishael meant who is what God is. Again, that's that throw down like, man, I'm, this is God. Who's like that? No one. And then uh, Azariah, God has helped. And so what the king wants to do the, the, immediately, I want to give them new identities. New identities. Identities, Babylonian identities. I began to think about this, just even in terms of our own life, the way we live in fear with different things. We make decisions because I want the identity of people to think, uh, I got it all together, so I'm going to give myself the altogether name. Or I want people to think I, I got lots of money, so I give myself the lots of money name. Or I want people to think that all my relationships are good, so I give myself the happy-go-lucky name. And we rename our identity away from what God calls it to or at the expense of what God calls us to, to live based on the fear of rejection by people and the fear of what people might think about us if they knew we didn't have it all together or that we are serving this God or we actually, actually believe the Bible, what? And we try and identify ourselves differently in the culture and that's exactly what happened with these guys. But they refused. Not, that wasn't only enough just to re-educate them, re-culture them, and try and steal their spiritual heritage and their names which represented what they believed about God. That wasn't enough. Eventually, he wanted to give them the new God. And guess who the new God was? The new God was him. Nebuchadnezzar. So what he decides as a plan is he decides he just ha so happened to have this large uh, person burning furnace. And he says, here's what's going to happen, guys. I'm bringing the band out. They're going to light it up. When they start rocking, see this golden image? That's me. Bow down to it. If you don't, furnace. Easy? Go. Na, 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 na. But, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go, no. I'm not bowing down to that God. They get busted. They come before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's like, okay, here's the deal. Um... I'm pretty ticked off, and I have a furnace, and I'm mad at you. I'm going to throw you in, but I'll give you one more chance to bow down to me. All right? Last chance. But here are three guys, Rack, Shack, and Benny, that are so convicted by God and fearing God more than humanity and understood the companionship of grace and the fear of God and listened to their beautiful response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Wait, what? The furnace, remember? No, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it. 
But, even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods. These are three guys who would not allow their identity to be, identity to be reformed by fear. And every day of our existence, we have furnaces that we have to face that are much smaller than this literal furnace. And what we have to be able to do is come to, the, come to grasp with the fact that God is the only person that can control our soul and our body. Nebuchadnezzar could throw them in the furnace and burn them up and they die. And they're like, cool, do it. Because I'm not going to give you my soul on the way out. And we make these decisions over and over and over again based in fear of something other than the Lord to give our body and our soul away. It's really interesting. I Look at this verse in Isaiah 44. This is again God declaring who he is and just saying, putting it out there, letting you know. Let me, let, me, let me just make it straight who I am. He says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and the last. Apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. Stop there for a second. He's like, okay, let me just lay it out there for you. Anyone else out there that created the universe? No, just me. Okay, all right. Just checking. Anyone else want to tell me what tomorrow holds? Oh, just me. Okay, all right. Just being clear. Anyone else want to, uh, you know, anyone else uh, design man here? Oh, just me. Okay, all right. Just checking. He brings the spirit of awe and the demonstration of his amazing power. And then he says these amazing words, do not tremble, do not be afraid. Because at the end of the day, God's desire is for us to be fearing him so that we can love him and he can love us ultimately. What I want to do is we're going to close. We're going to, band can come forward. We're going to transition to a time of musical worship. We're going to take our offering as well. And I just want to challenge you guys. I love sharing stories from the Bible, but they're not just, I don't want these to just be feel-good stories about something that happened thousands of years ago. I want you to think about this as we close this morning. At the beginning of the message, I asked you to identify, is there something that you're afraid of? Some fear that you're holding? Some fear that's actually driving a portion of your life that's making you make decisions and it's not the fear of God? So we have a few minutes left. Again, we're going to just worship through music. And I want you to really hone in on what that fear might be and say, God, I want to let go of that fear because I want to fear you more. This thing that I'm dealing with, it may take my body, but it's not going to take my soul. 
this thing that has me terrified that may never even happen isn't going to control the life choices that I make because I want to please you awesome and powerful God because you can do anything. And as we even sing this morning, we're also going to just take our offering. And I'll just tell you honestly, this is one of those great things. It's so, so challenging for us. At a core belief, so many of us are struggling with, the, you know what, I've got this much money and if I give some to God, I'm not going to have enough. And I just, it's a core struggle of fear. What do you fear and who do you believe? Do you really, I mean, we say stuff like this, I believe God can do anything. It's like those sloganeers, no fear. But when it comes down to living your life, do you really, really believe God can do anything? Because if you did, your life would look differently. Finances, you go, God, okay, I'm gonna trust you. And I'm scared, but I'm scared of you. And I'm just gonna pray, and I just again I just want you guys to get to the point where you really just say, God, be the thing I fear. Heavenly Father, we just invite you into this moment. There is so much here in this world that we can be absolutely terrified of. The bone-shaking tremors that come because we're scared of what life holds or what life withholds from us. But Lord, we want you to move into this moment and replace those fears with the fear of you and your holiness and your awesomeness. Change our hearts. Give us eyes to see.